Well, praise the Lord. Are you guys ready for the word? Well, we're going to have a good one. How do I know that? Because I know the speaker, <laughs> and he always has one. We're so grateful for Pastor Don, who is the president and co-founder of Brooklyn Teen Challenge. Um, yeah, give honor where honor is due. We're so thankful for this man that tire tirelessly serves the ministry and serves us. Um, so grateful for his leadership and mentorship here at Brooklyn Teen Challenge that he drives pretty much every single week from Virginia to here to be with us uh, and to serve us and make sure that we have every uh, opportunity to find freedom and find Christ in this ministry. So we're grateful, Pastor Don, you come up and share a word with us. Thank you for being here. First of all, I want to, uh, for the sake of the recording, I want to greet, this is going, uh, this message is going to be sent to uh, Jamaica, to Teen Challenge, Anthony Richards and his staff and all the students. Um, we've been asking for uh, some messages. We've been sending, trying to send them to them. And so greeting to all of you that are in, in Jamaica today, may you have as much of the presence of the Lord as we have here today. And I look out and uh, I see uh, all the faces, those here at Teen Challenge. Uh, you're a part of a big family. You're a part of a big family. And you know, I was thinking, I think this, this building was built sometime in the mid-60s. Uh, what an honor is, it is for me. I was thinking, what, what an honor that I've been able to be in this pulpit. Not as much uh, lately, but over the years, I've been able to be here in this pulpit and to minister to those of you that have come for help, uh, a new generation uh, that's here. What an honor it is for me to be able to do this. And uh, so I, I greet you today in the name of the Lord. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 2, Romans chapter 5 and verse 2, it says, through him also we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. The grace in which we stand. And rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, this morning, I, I, I want to talk to you about being trapped by grace. Trapped by grace. And I, bring, I begin with a brief story about grace. One of our graduates began a relationship with a young church girl named Grace. <laughs> Some months into the relationship, he fell, uh, and, uh, and Grace stopped seeing him. Uh, but she didn't give up on him, and she began to pray for him. They kept in touch as much as they, he was permitted to do so. He went into restoration, and when he finished, Grace continued the relationship with him. 
Then one day they met, and Grace smelled alcohol in his breath. And he admitted it. She told him, you've got to find an accountability partner in the church and come under his accountability and his mentorship. And he did. Then some weeks later, he got high. Grace did not know it, but he confessed it to her. And still, she didn't give up on him. Nevertheless, Jose was devastated. And this time, the young man told his accountability partner that he was finished with the way that he was acting, and he said, I don't want to disappoint Grace anymore. I see the love of Jesus in her. I don't want to lose her. I'm done with my old life. And he was true to his word. Then he said something amazing. He said, I think I've been trapped by grace. <laughs> he meant the girl named Grace. But he also meant God's amazing grace was so powerful, so convicting, that he decided to die to the flesh so he might have a right relationship with God and the woman who loved him named Grace. Jose was trapped by grace. He stayed clean. A year later, they were married. And the love of Jesus and the grace of God manifested through a young woman named Grace captured the man that she loved. Trapped by grace. Think of it. <laughs> Is this not true of the gospel of Jesus Christ? A subtitle to this message might be God, the Relentless Pursuer. Is this not an example of God, the relentless pursuer? Grace, the young lady by that name, used grace, God's grace, to bring the love of her life to the point where he was finally done with his old life, the person he didn't want to be any longer, but instead wanted to become truly a changed man in Christ. And he became that. Now, grace may have not trapped Jose in the way the word trapped is normally used. But it nevertheless described an action that required the object of her love to imprison himself. Imprison himself by the grace shown to him. It set him free. God's grace set him free. Now the biblical word grace means unmerited favor. And when the Lord forgives us, we can't earn it. It's a free gift. Jose, in this story, had no right for this young lady named Grace to forgive him and take him back. But she did by her own will and love in the relationship. And in this respect, she was like Christ. Hmm. I know there are those who take advantage of parents or spouse who love them and forgive them by continuing to do what they've always done, mess up. Grace is not a thing to be taken advantage of. 
except as it's intended to bring the offender to a place of surrender and change. Johnny Melendez, a 1960 graduate who became a, a, a chaplain in the U.S. Army, he married my secretary named Nancy from Oklahoma. And they live in Tampa now. But he tells a story as a young gang member in Harlem, how he used to see in the subway a sign that said, Jesus died for your sins. And he said, oh, that's great. I can sin all I want. There are some who still believe that. They treat grace like a bunch of get out of jail free cards. So they think I have no bad, I have no obligation to stop sinning. Grace is not a license to sin or to do whatever you want. Grace, the girlfriend of Jose, didn't condone his actions by her love and grace. Neither did she condemn him, but she expected Jose to condemn himself. <laughs> so he was motivated to change his behavior. And that's the wonderful thing about the trap of grace. It's intended to let the offender know love can be both tender and it can be tough. Romans 2.4, do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? How much does the fear of judgment, of being disciplined or separated from God and others, how does that factor into the decision to follow Christ? Is not the love of God in Christ and his grace the higher motive to obey him? A fellow in the program told me one time, he said, I need to accept Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. Well, if that gets you to the altar, well, good. But once you get up to the altar, that cannot be your continued motivation just to get out of an eternal jail sentence. It must be based upon what God, what Jesus did on the cross for you to save you from up out of your sin and to live for him and follow him. Let me note some, um, some examples of the Bible of the power of God's grace. There was a lawless woman who was caught between the law and mercy. It's in John chapter 8, a woman's caught in the very act of adultery. She's brought to Jesus to ask him what he would do either obey the law of Moses, Leviticus 20.20 20 says that, that uh, uh, if you're caught in adultery, you could be stoned to death. And uh, they wanted to know, what would Jesus do? Is he going to follow the law, or, or is he going to let her off the hook? And the question, of course, was intended to trap Jesus between law and grace and between law and mercy. Note what Jesus did when he was asked by the religious zealots, what do you say, Jesus? Remember what he did? He didn't say a word. Jesus stooped down, and he rode on the ground with his fingers as though he did not hear. 
<laughs> Someone has said, has speculated that Jesus was writing the names of the sins of those men that were there. I don't know. Jesus settled the issue by saying, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. <laughs> wow. Wow, case closed. All the accusers left. And then I love what it says next in the scripture. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Oh, boy. What a scene. I wish I was a film, a movie maker. I'd love to film that scene. Hmm. Jesus had the last word. What did he say? Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Let's assume that she did not sin anymore in that way. What do you think motivated her to leave her life as an adulterer? Was out of the fear that she might be caught again and be stoned? Maybe. Did the memory of being surrounded by some Pharisees with stones in their hand ready to throw at her, did that motivate her to stay clean? Or was it Jesus? <laughs> yes, it was mercy. She was trapped by grace. Hallelujah. We don't know the answer except to say that the love and grace of God is much more powerful motivation than fear. Listen to these wonderful verses from 1 John 4, 16 to 19. And we have known and believed the love of God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. There is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. That's 1 John 4, 16 to 19. You know, Pat Boone played my brother David in the Cross and Switchblade movie. And Pat Boone was a big uh, singing, uh, what would you call an icon back in the late 50s and, and 60s. Uh, he and Elvis were kind of on a parallel in terms of the number of, of records they sold. And um, uh, uh, how, how, how many of you remember any of the songs that Pat Boone recorded? Yeah. There's one or two of you. Uh, that means that's how old you are. <laughs> that's how old you are. Yes, Felipe, you, I, I, I see your hand, and I see your gray hairs. <laughs> and uh, one of the songs that he recorded, and I looked it up, and I found it on, on YouTube, called Love Letters in the Sand. Love letters in the sand. Here's a few lines that go like this. On a day like today, we pass the time writing love letters in the sand. How you laughed when I cried each time I saw the tide take out a love letter from the sand. You made a vow that you would ever be true, but somehow that vow meant nothing to you. Now my broken heart aches. With every wave that breaks over love letters in the sand. And on YouTube, there was a picture of, of a heart with stone, made by stones. And every once in a while, a wave would come in and it'd take away another one of the stones. And eventually, all that 
that, that uh, image of love w w was gone. And it's the story of a, of a, of a couple who uh, um, suffered the heartache of a broken relationship. And when I watched those waves wash away the stones that represented their relationship, I thought, no wave can wash away the Lord's mercy and forgiveness for that woman caught in adultery. The greatest motivation to serve Christ is knowing his love and grace bestowed upon us in every day and in every way. She was trapped by grace. Example number two. In the famous story of the prodigal son, what drew him back to the father? Hmm. In answering that question, you can find out why you're here and what enables someone to stay here and finish the program. Luke 15, 14. But when he had spent all that he had, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. When you're destitute, when you're homeless, when you're hungry, it'll motivate you to seek help. It did for this son. Want can drive you to God. But the greater reason the prodigal left his messed up life was not just because of the want, but because he said, I will arise and go to my father. Because he knew that there would be grace bestowed upon him. He who knew his father would accept him because the father had proven his love to him. Some who come here for help are not at first motivated because they want to follow Jesus. Emptiness, hunger, hurt forces you to find answers to the mess you may have been in. And whatever circumstances brought you here, then it's a good thing. But just wanting to be here to escape your past is not good enough to keep you here or to keep you in the love of God. Do you think the prodigal son ever went back to his old life? I don't think so, because he found love, acceptance, and grace in his father's house. There is power and security when you are trapped by grace. Mm. 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 That's a preacher's way of saying amen to himself. Another example of being trapped by grace is the life of Peter. After Jesus' resurrection, it says in John 20, 20, Jesus appeared alive before his disciples, and he showed them his hands and his side where he had been pierced on the cross, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. One disciple was not so glad, Peter. 
Simon Peter says to the other disciples, I'm going fishing. And they said, we're going to go with you. They had just witnessed the most glorious event in history, the risen Savior. And yet they go fishing. What's going on here? Two things. The disciples thought Jesus was going to use his power to overthrow their oppressors, the Romans. And when they saw Jesus after the resurrection, they were both glad and disappointed that he was alive, but disappointed that Jesus did not fulfill their earthly desires. They were still under Roman rule. Peter was the one who said, I'm going fishing. I think I know why. You have to go back during the trial of Jesus when Peter was by a fireside and there was somebody that recognized him and said, aren't you one of them? And Jesus, and Peter said, no, I'm not. Didn't he curse? Doesn't the Bible say at one point he cursed at the person? He said, no, no, I'm not. And at that moment, he was close enough to the Lord. The Bible says, and this is Luke 22, 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine how Peter felt at that very moment? He knew Jesus had prophesied that he was going to deny him, and he looks at him. When I was 14 years of age, I did something that broke one of our house rules. I didn't do a, a sinful thing, but I did something that I wasn't supposed to do. I left home all day long, didn't tell my parents where I was going, gone all day long. They didn't know where I was because I, I had arranged to see a, a, a young lady that I had met in my brother's church in Phillipsburg, and she was in Pittsburgh uh, at, at some amusement park, and I, I, I wanted to see her, so I just went. And when I, when I came through the door, my mother said, your, your father wants to see you. I'd rather, rather my mother give me what for than my father give me what for. And I'll never forget it. This is in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And I'm sitting in the living room, and my father comes, and he sits down, and he looks at me. And he said, son, I'm so disappointed in you. We've trusted you. We've trusted you. And now you betrayed that trust. And I, shall ne I never forgot that look on his face. I would have rather he whipped me, but I was too old to be whipped. That look of disappointment in his face, and I said to myself, I'm never going to allow myself to be, have my father look at me again that way. And I didn't. I believe shame led Peter to return to his old life. Peter was haunted, convicted, and ashamed of his denial of the Lord. And the look was more than he could bear. He had disappointed Jesus and himself, and he went fishing to sort it all out. And we might say that Peter went fishing feeling disappointed that Jesus was not the person 
He wanted him to be in overthrowing the Roman government. And in addition, Peter might have remembered the look in Jesus' face when he denied the Lord and felt ashamed. And that may have been the reason why Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? He denied him three times. And every time he said, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, I love you. He wiped out. He wiped that out of what he had done. I come back to the question I ask, what was it that motivated Jose to change after messing up in his relationship with a young lady named Grace that loved him? Was it fear? Was it disappointment? Was it shame that motivated him? What motivated the woman in adultery to do as Jesus told her to do when he said, go and sin no more? What drew the prodigal back to the father? Was it his dire conditions living in a pig pen? What was it that enabled Peter to go from denier to disciple that was willing to lay down his life for the cause of Christ? The answer in all three cases is that they were trapped by grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Have you been trapped by grace? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 answers this question. When Jesus asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your mind and all your soul and with all your, with, with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. And often this, quote, this verse is quoted just as it is. But the next two verses also are important. When it, when it says, on these two commandments, loving the Lord and loving your neighbor, on these two commandments hang all the other law. It's not that hard to live for Jesus. It's not so hard to live for Jesus. You fall in love. When I got married to a young lady in, in Vermont, I, 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 I knew that eventually the honeymoon is over. And I, I, you know, because I was the youngest and I watched my, bro my brother and sister and their relationship, the, the two of them. Uh, one time my brother David broke up with his wife Gwen and, and he made me take the, uh, 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 um, a, a ring that he was going to give her and run down the street and give it to her. And, and I knew it, it always wasn't going to be easy to bring a young girl from Vermont, 600 people in the town, to live in Brooklyn. I commuted from here to Baldwin. We got our first home. My wife couldn't drive. And we'd come home, and then I had to take her grocery shopping. And then I had to take out the, the, the garbage. And I remember my wife scolded me one time. She said, you never remember to take out the garbage. I said, honey, I've been dealing all day with the garbage in people's lives. <laughs> she wasn't impressed. <laughs> if any of those images had come to me at that time, they didn't matter. Because perfect love cast out fear. There was a relationship of love 
that's now lasted a lot of years, a lot of years, and it will do so with you as well. There is a teaching today that can be called hyper-grace. It is a misuse of what grace means. The modern teaching basically is actually in line with what Johnny Melinda said when he saw a poster and said, Jesus died for our sins, and, and his interpretation was, oh, then I can sin all I want. Hey, Paul, open that for me. The grace of God ought to be an incentive to live a holy life and a holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy life. Trapped by grace means to volunteer our lives within the boundaries of what God requires for us. Here's a verse that I love. Titus 2, 11 to 14. I don't know which one of the verses there. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly trust, lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present world. The grace of God teaches a final word how is it that amazing grace is given to a rich like me and you <laughs> I want to show you how you can sing amazing grace without feeling like you're a wretch the famous line from the hymn, Amazing Grace, starts like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now, how is it you can sing in the same sentence that grace is a sweet sound and at the same time saying that you and me are a wretch? Do you know the definition of wretch, W-R-E-T-C-H? It's not an everyday word. Look it up. It means a miserable person. It means a vile person. It means a sinful person. And when you look closer at this hymn, it makes grace sound all the more amazing. Let me explain why we can sing amazing grace without feeling like a miserable person. Is it possible that we can be undeserving of grace and yet worthy of it at the same time? We don't, understand, we don't deserve grace by the fact that we are sinners and some sin more than others. We don't deserve grace because of our past and some have a more wretched past than others. However, regardless of what we have done, still we are made in the image of God. We quote the verse, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we only see the sin part. We've all come short of what? The glory of God. We're destined for the glory of God. That's why he wants to help us to get rid of the sin in our lives so that we can experience his glory. Regardless of what we have done, still we are made in the image of God. The Bible says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
And the amazing grace that saved a wrench like me is because in spite of what we have done, we're still God's creation. And you're made in the image of God. You're made for God. That's why he made you. And the devil has made you something else, but that's not God's will for your life. I am a Wilkerson, but it's not because I am a co-founder of Teen Challenge that I'm a Wilkerson. I might have turned out to be a drug addict, but I'd still be a Wilkerson. I am a Wilkerson and always will be for better or for worse. When I was born, I was a reflection physically and in other ways of the Wilkerson family. And my father passed away. I was, I think, uh, 19 years old. And he was 53 years old. And I started preaching in the church. And my mother hated to come to hear me preach because I was such an image of my father. When you are born again, you are no longer the image of your parents, your ancestors. I don't care how dysfunctional your family was. When you come to Christ, he plants a new seed. The cycle is broken. Hallelujah. The cycle is broken, and a new seed is produced in you, and a new generation comes out of that seed. That's the power of the seed. That's another message I'll preach here sometime. The power of the seed. Oh, hallelujah. Colossians 3.10, when we're born again, we have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. God don't make junk. God don't make junk. The devil does. But God lifts us up out of the miry clay, cleans us up, and we're no, we're no longer wretches. What is the opposite of a wretch? <laughs> when you go to the altar, you might be a wretch. If you ask Christ into your heart, you leave the altar worthy of his love and all the blessings that follow. Some of you need to quit seeing yourself from your past, but see yourself as created for and in the image of God and understand that's why Christ went to the cross for you. And one of the things that I have been saying, and I, I got to preach at a conference, and so I think I'm uh, uh, here soon, and the Teen Challenge Conference, and the title of my message is Keeping the Cross Central in the Story of the Cross and Switchblade. And when I began, I said, what a joy it is for me to stand and minister to you here today. And one, one of the reasons for that joy is that the drug scene has changed. We live in a different era. We live in a different time. But the gospel is seamless and ageless, and the gospel is the same. It doesn't matter what the addiction problem is. Still, the power of the cross is able to change your life. And... I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to sing Amazing Grace. And I want you to turn wherever you are into a place of worship and give him thanks today for the grace that he has shown you. I, I, 
I, I've thought about this many, many, many times. I thought about this many, many times. I look out and I see all of you. Why are you here? You all have friends just like you that need help, and they're not here. I don't fully understand that. I don't fully understand that. But I know you're here, and you're here in God's divine providence. And you're here not just because you've been in want, but you're here to be able to hear what has been shared with you today and what's shared with you every day. And so how to understand how great God is to help you going forward. Sunday, I had the privilege of going and visiting two of our graduates. Uh, she was in the women's home. She worked in the women's home for a while. Uh, David uh, was four years here, went through the program. And what a privilege it was for me down near Tom's River to spend part of the afternoon with her. And another graduate came in, Holly May. Uh, uh, did you know Holly May? Uh, um, came in with, with her two children. And I remember them when they, when they were in the program. And to see them now living such a, a, a successful life, but a God-honoring life. And David is so excited because he, he, he uh, has a good job, makes a good income, but he's starting his own business. He's launching out in, in, his, in his own business. He's so excited. And, he, and I said, well, what, what, is it a big risk to, to, to start your own business? He said, yeah, Brother John. He said, we think all the time we wish we could go on a mission trip, but we can't. We got three young kids. Maybe someday we can, but we can help send somebody else. We can help send somebody else. And for me to see the fruit, uh, I think they came in in 2011, 2014, I married them. And, and to see the fruit of, uh, of that uh, is, is such a blessing to me. And you will also reap that fruit as well in your life as you follow the Lord. Thank him for his amazing grace to you. Let's sing it.